And Lord, bless the study tonight as Jeremiah is ministering during a very difficult time. And yet, Lord, you are still working just as you're working today. And your promises are true. And every dot and tittle of your word is going to be fulfilled. So just help us be attentive right now as we listen to your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jeremiah, as he's speaking, he's, of course, speaking the words of the Lord to uh, Judah that's about ready to go into captivity by the Babylonians. And you recall that he's been very bold in chapter 19. He, he takes uh, this, this uh, earthen flask vessel and he goes to the elders uh, of the city and he's overlooking the valley of Gehenna where that's where the garbage heap was and that's where they were burning uh, their their children on the arms of Moloch and he he throws it down and breaks it and he says that's what's going to happen because you've forsaken the Lord and you've continued to follow the evil dictates of your heart and you see even before Jeremiah clear back Isaiah when the house of Israel the ten northern tribes were still on the scene he was ministering the word of the Lord to the people warning them Turn back to the Lord because they had turned to idol worship, to false, you know, um, uh, worship and practices. Uh, there was the false leaders and messengers and prophets on the scene that were given a message of peace and prosperity. Uh, nothing's going to happen to us. We are in Jerusalem. We're God's people. And we know that they refused to turn to the Lord. And the Lord sending the prophets, Isaiah, Micah, some of the other prophets that we see in the Old Testament that they refused to listen to. And so now we're seeing the death of a nation. The ten northern tribes would go off by, in the captivity in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And here it is over a hundred years later that Jeremiah is saying to Judah, you should have learned from your sister Israel. You saw what happened to her because of her disobedience and forsaking the Lord. And you have done worse, Judah. And Judah here is about ready to go off into captivity as Jeremiah is speaking these words. Now, the leaders didn't like that. So at the end of chapter 19, if you're with us in our study, Jeremiah, that he's at the, the, stood at the court of the Lord's house, and he said to the people that you're a stiff-necked people, you have forsaken the word of the Lord, and because of that, there's going to be calamity that's going to come upon Jerusalem. And as the people were hearing that, chapter 20 that we went over a couple weeks ago, that Pasher, who is the governor of the house of the Lord, he grabs Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is beginning to experience persecution. And he puts Jeremiah in stocks and chains. They're probably towards the entrance to the house of the Lord. So people are coming by and they're mocking Jeremiah. It would be painful for him. And Pasher thought his name, Pasher, means prosperity. And that was the message that he was bringing to the people. Prosperity and peace. Nothing's going to happen to us. And we're going to teach Jeremiah a, a lesson. We're going to put him in, in painful situation. We're going to persecute him. He was struck. He was beaten. And then he was let go. And Jeremiah continued 
to preach with, with great boldness. And he says that your name no longer is going to be called Prosperity, Pasher, but Megar Mishabib, which means fear on every side, terror on every side. And Jeremiah mentions for the very first time that it's the Babylonians, he mentions them by name, that are going to come into Jerusalem and Pasher you and your family and those who speak lies to the people you're going to go off into captivity and you're going to end up dying in that foreign land called Babylon and they didn't like that message so here is Jeremiah with great boldness and and he's the weeping prophet he has a broken heart as he's given this message to a nation that he very much loves but then we see that Jeremiah begins to struggle and he's very honest with the Lord he he's a man of, of passion and he's saying Lord you know everyone mocks me uh, you uh, trick me into ministry and and I shot at violence and plunder and uh, I'm not going to speak your word anymore it's too hard the persecution I'm not going to make mention of you anymore but then we see that Jeremiah goes on to say but your word Lord is in my heart like a burning fire shut up my bones and I was weary of holding it back but I I, I could not I had to speak the word of the Lord. And maybe you've experienced it to some degree to where as you're ministering to uh, people that you care for and the people around you and linked to you, that maybe they've struck you with harsh words or come against you in some way. Some of you that you've had family members that uh, have uh, just separated themselves from you. Relationships severed and strained in different ways. And, and you feel like, I'm not going to speak the word of the Lord anymore. I'm not going to do that because um, it just causes problems and difficulties. But the word of God's in your heart. and You just know that you got to speak it. you got to speak the gospel. And the Lord will, will put that word in our hearts that burns to share with others. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. But he would then begin to praise the Lord in chapter 20. He says, the Lord is with me, the mighty one, awesome one. And sing to the Lord, praise to the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. And then he turns right back into and he said, curse the day that I'm bored. So Jeremiah is up and he's down and he's praising the Lord one moment and, and he's saying, I'm not going to speak, but the word of God burns in my heart and I can't keep it back and I'm going to praise you, Lord, and curse the day that I was born. You know, we can have moments like that where we're up and down spiritually and emotionally and, and, and the Lord knows our frame. He knows but we're but dust. And I am so thankful that the Lord is patient with me and he loves me. He continues to, to use me and to draw me to himself. A bruised reed he does not break. A smoking flax he does not quench. And listen, that if tonight you're just smoldering spiritually, you know, and you look at people and we see people and they're such on fire for the Lord. And we hear the message, be on fire for the Lord. But maybe you're smoldering. The Lord desires to minister to you, to your heart, to, to, to bring the flame back. If you, you feel like that you're just bruised, maybe you're bruised because of 
circumstances of life or maybe because of this uh, current situation that we're going through with the pandemic. Listen, he doesn't come along and say, well, what are you complaining about and just stomps on us. No, he doesn't break a bruised reed. And I want to encourage you, spend time with him because he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the Lord is so loving and is so compassionate. One of the things that we will see not long from now as we continue in Matthew's gospel that Jesus looked at the crowds with compassion. And he saw the crowds as uh, sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. He began to care for them. He ministered to them. And he wants to do the same thing with you. And I guarantee, listen, that is in the simplicity of your heart and the honesty of your heart. Just say, Lord, I'm smoldering right now. Or I'm bruised right now. Or I'm just, I'm just struggling right now. He's going to meet you there. And he's going to minister to you. And he's going to comfort you. Just go to him. He's a loving father that desires his children to come to him. So Jeremiah is going through all of this. And then in chapter 21, it's interesting that we saw last time that we see that um, Pasher and these guys uh, come to Jeremiah because it is Babylon that is going to destroy Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar is sending the army. Now, when we talk about the captivity of Babylon, there is three waves of captivity. 605 B.C., right after the death of Josiah. Uh, here comes Nebuchadnezzar. He takes the choice men of Judah away that included Daniel. And in a second wave in 597 B.C., and we see that, that Jerusalem is spared at that time. And, and Ezekiel is taken off in the captivity. But then finally, the third assault uh, is during the reign of Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, uh, he, he sends Pasher and uh, he sends him to inquire of Jeremiah. Uh, and, and maybe the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. Maybe he'll go away from us uh, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what happened with the days of Hezekiah. Remember that the story of Hezekiah, who was a godly king, by the way, that the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem. It looked like Judah was going to go off into captivity by the Assyrians. And Shennacherib and, and the king of Assyria are threatening Hezekiah and the people there and and all of a sudden, they send a letter to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, he spread it out before the Lord at the house of the Lord. And they fasted and they prayed. And, and all of a sudden, an angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Can you imagine that? Maybe Zedekiah is thinking, maybe the Lord will spare Jerusalem. It's God's holy city. Uh, maybe he'll do that. And Jeremiah had a message that he gave to them. He said, listen, the Lord's not going to fight against um, the Babylonians. He's going to fight against you, Zedekiah, and against the false leaders. And I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And that's such an important message for us because there is a way of life and the way of death. Listen, Jesus is life. He is the author of life. He's the creator of life. He's the author of eternal life. There is no other way to heaven for forgiveness of sin and, and reconciliation with the Father. And Jesus' love for us was proven on that cross as he died for our sins and he rose again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. 
And we also know that there's a way of life, listen, on this side of eternity, a blessed life, abundant life. I'm not talking about prosperity and riches and all of that that is such a popular message in the church today. But a life of real purpose and a life of peace and a life of comfort and, and, and a life of joy. It is only found in Christ. And one of the things that we are seeing in the church that, that we see that people are looking for it even Christians in so many different ways and looking for it in the world, in the ways of the world, doing what feels right rather than doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. And listen, he wants to bless us. He wants us to draw closer to him because he made us to fellowship with him and to know him. And that's where we experience life the way they was meant to be experienced. But if you go by the way of the world, not because Pastor Jeff says so, because the Word of God declares it, and it's a loving Father that declares it, that you're going to end up being empty, and you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be defeated. And so I pray that you would draw close to Him. And His ways are good and right and are a blessing. So now as we go into chapter 22, we're going to look at the, the last four kings of Judah before the destruction of Jerusalem. Let's begin to look at that in verse 1 of Jeremiah 22. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you, your servants, and your people who enter these gates. And thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plunderer out of the hand of the oppressor. And do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger and fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place. And verse 4, for if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. So Josiah, when Jeremiah started his ministry, it is believed that perhaps Jeremiah and Josiah, Josiah was the last of the godly kings. Uh, he was the grandson of, of, Hez, of Manasseh. Manasseh, who was a terrible king, plunged the nation deep into every kind of sin and, and false worship. And because of the sins of Manasseh, the Lord said, you're going to go into captivity, Judah. Then Ammon, his son, was king for a couple uh, of years. And then here comes uh, Josiah, the last of the good kings. He, he began to reign when I believe he was like eight years old, six years old. And as he reigned, he made reforms. He cleaned up the temple. He brought back temple worship. He celebrated the Passover. And, and he was a godly king. And we know that he would end up dying in about 609 B.C., killed by the king of Egypt up there in northern Israel in the valley of Megiddo. And after he would die, after he was killed by Necho, king of Egypt, three of his sons ended up becoming the king and then one of his grandsons um, as, uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, 
And so the king was uh, ruling during this message. It's not clear. It, it could have been Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the last of the kings before Jerusalem is destroyed. But here there's some prophecy concerning these last four kings, three of them again the sons of Jeremiah, one the grandson that we're going to look at. But execute justice is the message. Treat people fairly, but they were corrupt and judgment would come. We continue in verse 6, For thus says the Lord to the house of the king of Judah, You are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon. Yet I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare destroyers against you, everyone with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done so uh, to this great city? And they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, and worshipped other gods, and served them. So as we read this, Gilead and Lebanon were known for their forest, uh, and the royal palace where the kings lived were, was known as the palace of the forest of Lebanon. You read about that in 1 Kings chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 22. Uh, it was Solomon that built it. Uh, he would bring down the cedar trees from Lebanon. Uh, the king of Tyre and Sidon, uh, Hiram, they brought him down the Mediterranean to Joppa and then up to Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, we see that after uh, hear the message in verses 6 through 9, uh, Babylon gets through with destroying the city. It's going to be desolate. It's going to be a desert. Those cedar beams are going to be burnt down. They're not going to stand. And verse 10, weep not for the dead, no, nor bemoan him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away. For he shall return no more, nor see his native country. They're going to go off into captivity. In verse 11 we read, For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, or that is Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, who went from this place, he shall not return here anymore. But he shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. So Josiah, that he dies up there in the valley of Megiddo by the king of, of Egypt. Uh, we know that King Jehoahaz, here called Shalom, uh, Josiah's son, he reigned after Josiah's death, but he only reigned for three months. You can read about all of this in Second Chronicles chapter 36 and also in Second Kings chapters 23 and 24. So he only reigns for a few months. He would be taken away by the king of Egypt to Egypt and he would die there. So that is what Jeremiah here is prophesying and speaking about that. And then verse 13, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work who say, I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Uh, here comes Josiah's other son, Jehoiakim, or Eliakim, he is called. And he would reign for 11 years. And during his reign, the Babylonians are really strengthening in power. And Judah is falling apart. And when that is happening, 
He decides here, Jehoiakim, Eliakim, to build his own palace. Uh, he's not paying the people who are doing it. He is a petty king who only cared about his own personal gain. Uh, he's going to build himself a wide house, verse 14, with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it. Um, and he's just thinking about himself. He doesn't care about the nation. He doesn't care about godly things at all. It is not a good way to live for anyone to just live for themselves. And yet this is what he was doing during this time of crisis. During this time that the, the captivity had begun and the choice men of Judah were taken off, he's thinking about himself. He's building a palace for himself. He's doing it out of greed. And, and, and it's unfortunate that there are those even in the church today that with their prosperity message that they have multi-million dollar homes and it's all about them and, and ripping the people off. And, and we see that. And it's very unfortunate living for themselves rather than living for the gospel and serving people and feeding people the gospel and the word of God. But their gospel is God wants you to be rich and God wants you to be wealthy and healthy. Send your seed faith. And many of these guys have been building huge palaces, you know, jets and everything else. And they'll even brag about it. Focused on self. And, and gain rather than serving others rather than, than being a shepherdess feeding the people the word of God and that's what was happening here shall you reign verse 15 because you enclose yourself in cedar did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness he's talking about Josiah and then it will be well with him he judged the cause of the poor and needy then it was well was not this knowing me, say the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. So Jeremiah contrasts Jehoiakim with his father, the last of the godly kings, Josiah, who did what was right and just and defended the poor and, and cared about the needy and, and cared about pleasing the Lord in his life. And as we continue in verse 18, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey and dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So here is, you know, Jehoiakim at his death, the people did not mourn for him. Not like they did his father Josiah. Matter of fact, we know from the scriptures that when Josiah died, that Jeremiah lamented for him. Because again, he was a godly king. And it is Jeremiah that probably the thought is, grew up with Josiah. They grew up together, and Josiah had that godly influence, and Jeremiah wept for him. The people wept for him. And, and here, his son, they didn't mourn for him, not like they did his father. Uh, there would be no lavish funeral that would be normally given to a king, but he would have the burial of a donkey, is what the scripture says here. In other words, when animals died, they would throw them outside of the city 
wall in, in the garbage dump. And that's essentially what they did with Jehoiakim here. Now, historically, Jehoiakim died in about 598 B.C. As Nebuchadnezzar is advancing towards the city to punish the city for its rebellion. The city would be spared as Jehoiakim. Some have suggested, some you know, uh, scholars of the Old Testament, uh, rabbinical scholars, have suggested that he was assassinated to appease King Nebuchadnezzar. So then the grandson of Josiah, Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiakim with an N, would reign after him for only three months. And he would be dragged off to Babylon. But the city of Jerusalem, you know, at that time in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar decided not to destroy it. The people got rid of Jehoiakim. Uh, his son, Jehoiakim, comes to the throne, he's dragged off into Babylon after three months. Uh, and so he would then be in Babylon during that time. As we read in verse 20, go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry for Abram and for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth, that you did not obey my voice. The wind shall eat up all your rulers and your lovers shall go into into captivity surely then you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness O inhabitant of lebanon making your nest in the cedars how gracious will you be when the pangs come upon you like the pain of a woman in labor verse 23 interesting isn't it jeremiah is saying lament for jerusalem for your lovers, that is your allies, are going to be crushed by Babylon. What we will see later on in uh, Jeremiah is Jeremiah is going to tell uh, Zedekiah, who's meeting with some of the leaders of uh, some of the other kings around in that area that are trying to figure out how can we rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. He will say, don't do it, because if you do, you're going to get crushed. Babylon's going to come in if, if you just... Submit yourself to, to Nebuchadnezzar. You'll be under his rule. You'll be subject to him. But at least you'll live peaceably and Jerusalem won't be destroyed. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. Only to the false prophets who said that prosperity was coming. You know, it's interesting here. It ends with like the pain of a woman in labor. How gracious will you be when, when the pan, pangs have come upon you. Labor pains. You know, Jesus talked about that the signs of the end are going to be like labor pains. Like a, a woman that's going to go into labor. They, these signs are going to happen more frequently and more intensely. I believe that we are seeing the labor pains that are happening. That is pointing to a soon birth. And that is the coming of the tribulation period. And the coming of the Lord at the end of the tribulation period. That the signs all around us are, are like birth pangs. Uh, and, and that's what we are told in the New Testament. But yet there are those who are walking around saying it's going to be prosperity. It's going to be peace. It's going to be grand. Listen, the Bible does not say that in the last days it's going to get more you know, grand. It's going to get uh, more glorious. It's going to be perilous times. Paul says in the last days that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. He also declares that there will be those that will depart from the faith, given over to doctrines of demons. 
There will be those that have itchy ears, not enduring sound doctrine. And unfortunately, we have seen that even today that has happened. And what I pray that during this time that, you know, that the Lord has allowed this pandemic that has affected the whole world, that there would be a purging not only in our lives but in the church, how important it is that we continue with the gospel message, how important it is that we give the word of God and that we give it as it is presented to us that, listen, this world is not our hope and it's not going to get better and grander that we're going to see that it's going to be difficulty and upheaval. And I don't say that to put undue burden on anyone, but the Lord has a glorious plan for us that he's going to take the church before it gets the culmination of all those things, which is called the tribulation period. And right now we have the opportunity to give the gospel message And that is Jesus Christ came and died for your sins and rose again. And he is your hope and he is is your forgiveness and he is your salvation. And he brings relationship with the loving father. Listen, your life has purpose and value. And the Lord desires to use every single one of us in these days. We are here for such a time as this. Don't live for yourself like Jehoiakim. Don't live for yourself. Live for him. Look to him. He will do more with your life than you can ever do on your own. And look to him and trust in him and rest what he's doing all of us. Because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or hope. And it is day by day. We want to know what's going to happen. Okay, what's going to happen at the end of summer? I, I'd like to know, Lord, what's going to happen? You know, are we going to be able to, to go back to, to a sense of normality and services? What's going to happen at the end of the year? He says, Jeff, one day at a time, trust me, look to me. I'm still using you. I'm working. Let me lead you and guide you in every way. And he desires to do that with all of us. But don't live for yourself because you're going to miss out. And I don't think any of us would say we want to miss out on what the Lord has for us. But we can so easily do it because we're trying to lean on our own understanding rather than leaning on him. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. With all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And as you are trusting in him, He will direct your paths. That's a promise of scripture that is given to us in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And so in verse 24, as I live, says the Lord through Coniah. Coniah here, that is uh, Jeconiah or Jehoiakim. We read the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, and yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out in your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. 
but to the land to which they desired to return, there they should not return. And so uh, Koaniah uh, here, uh, again, um, speaking of uh, Jehoiakim, uh, we see that the signet ring is mentioned here. The signet ring was important because it would be used to impress your seal, the king. You would put it in wax or you put it in ink and you would make your mark there. That was from the king. This is a decree. Uh, this is from the king. This is signet ring. Because you did not represent me, Koniah. You are useless to me and I'm, I'm uh, handing you over to Babylonians. Listen, what mark are you making for the kingdom? What mark am I making for the kingdom? This church, the Lord wants to use this to, to, to make a mark for him as we look to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And then as we finish here tonight, in verse 28, is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this down, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days. For none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So this is very significant here, this prophecy that is given. Now Jehoiakim, God considers him childless, but he actually had children. What God is saying is this, that he will not be allowed to sit on the throne of David. Now that has some very significant implications. Because if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David wanted to build God a house, uh, he, he said to, to, to Nathan, I want to build God a house. And Nathan said, do that's all on your heart. And the Lord said, hey, Nathan, listen, you got to go back and tell David that he's not going to uh, build a house. Uh, he's not going to do that. Uh, his son will. But you have a message to give to him that the Lord, I am going to build him a house. And, and that's what Nathan said. I spoke too soon. You're not going to build the house of the Lord, the temple. Your son Solomon is. But the Lord's going to build you a house. And upon your throne, David, is going to come the Messiah. He's going to come through your seed. And all of a sudden here, God puts this, this curse on David's son, uh, his descendant, Jehoiakim. From Solomon, David, and then Solomon was born to Jehoiakim. None of your descendants are going to be on the throne. And, and it was uh, taken away, pruned away. Perhaps the people at this time didn't understand the implications of this because they were so far from God. But Satan, I'm sure he must have been throwing a party, celebrating. Because he knew that Messiah was going to come from the line of David, from the seed of David. That's why when you go to the Gospels, and we will see that people would cry out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, son of David. That was a messianic term because they knew that he would come from the line of David. So all of a sudden, Jehoiakim, that none of your descendants are going to sit on the throne of David. There's a problem here, it seemed like. But God is still in control. Because you remember that when we started out Matthew's gospel, that the genealogy given in Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus is the legal line of Jesus through his stepfather Joseph, who had come through the line of Jehoiakim. You can read it, his name in verse 12, I believe, of Matthew chapter 1. 
But because Jesus was virgin born, he's not disqualified because he doesn't come from the line of Jehoiakim. Rather, Luke's gospel records his genealogy through another one of David's son, that is Nathan, Solomon's brother, whose line was not under the curse. So Jesus gets his divinic, you know, throne rights through his mother Mary, as Luke records her genealogy. It tells us that God is absolutely amazing. He knows what he's doing. And his word is true. And Satan may have thought that he had victory, but he didn't. And I want to end with this. That God is in control, and his word is true, and Satan does not get the victory. COVID-19 does not get the victory. Whatever is going on, it may seem like that, you know, that things have been cursed. Economically, emotionally, spiritually, but listen, God is still working and his word is true and his promises are true for you. And he's going to bring it to pass. And he cares about you. And he promises to work all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is to conform you and me and us into the image of Jesus Christ. If we just allow him and trust in him. He is still working. His word is still true for you and for me. And it will always be true. And for you who are going through wondering and questioning and struggling, the Lord says to you that I will be faithful and I'm going to see you through. And it's during these times that we get to see the faithfulness of the Lord. And it brings patience and patience brings endurance. And then that endurance brings maturity as he's desiring to do that work. Listen, he wants us to be committed to him. And he wants to do such an incredible work in our hearts in growing us and growing in our love for him. And a lot of times that comes through the difficulties of life and the trials. And it's what James talks about in his epistle. That's why we're told to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, which produces endurance. Patience has this perfect work, that is. Bringing us to maturity. He loves you. Look to him, trust in him. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not done with the church. He wants to do so much in the days ahead to show himself strong on our behalf. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word given to us. We thank you for this study. And, and Lord, it seemed like everything was falling apart in Judah. It seemed like all of a sudden the line of Messiah was, was cut off. But no, you were in control. You knew exactly what you were doing. And Lord, even though today as we go through, Lord, this season of how this pandemic has affected every single one of us to different degrees, in different ways, in very hard ways. That, Lord, you are still working and you're still in control and you're on the throne. And your word is still true. Lord, I feel burdened tonight to pray for those who are just struggling spiritually, who are anxious, who are doubting, 
who are wondering, who are faltering in their faith. The Lord loves you, and he cares for you, and you are valuable to him. He's not going to quench a smoking flax. He's not going to break a bruised reed. And he desires to bring you to himself because you were made to fellowship with him and to know him. And he wants to bless your life in so many ways, to bring that joy and that peace and that wisdom and that comfort and that surety. Listen, if you live for yourself, you're going to go through life wandering and dry and barren and you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. If you just do what feels right, rather than saying, Lord, I hear your voice and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to rest in your love and I just want to know you. And for you who haven't come to the gospel, the gospel is this, that you need Jesus. He is your hope. There is none other. He is the way of life. Because if you try to do things in your own self or go your own way or believe your own system or try to be righteous, that's the way of death. That's what God declares. The way of life is through Jesus who loves you so much that he went to the cross because you are valuable to him. He created you and he came and died for you so that you might know him and have relationship with the Father and be forgiven and have the hope of heaven. Will you come to him? Truly. He loves you and the invitation is always to come to the bread of life. He says, come eat and drink of me. Come and know me. He died on that cross for your sins. He rose again. He did the work. You come in faith now. Put your life into his hands and ask him into your heart. You can do that right now. As you pray, Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. That you're alive as you rose from that grave. Speaking to my heart, I ask now that you would sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for dying for me. And I ask that you be my personal Lord, my personal Savior. Thank you for this new beginning, bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to know you. I want to know you more and walk with you and experience the abundant life you have for me. Father, I pray you bless everyone here. We look forward again to meeting on Sunday and just, again, be with us and guide us. What a joy it is to be a part of the body of Christ. In the meantime, keep everyone safe. Keep them healthy, Lord, and look into you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Looking forward. Hope we see you or hear from you and, uh, on Sunday.